Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. This is a podcast that I have referred to and at least one podcast that I can think of right now. It's with a man named Andrew Scott and he is a voiceover artist out of the Pacific Northwest and we talked about artificial intelligence. This podcast was recorded I think a couple of months ago. And that's more my fault than anything else. Actually, it is my entire fault. I've been super busy with other things. So, obviously, the world of AI has moved. I don't want to say significantly, but it has moved in the last couple of months. Um, The legal system and folks are starting to ask questions about which I think they should have been asking from the start, about um, where exactly are these words on this screen that this thing has generated? Where exactly have they come from? There have been people that have stepped forward saying they have they actually wrote that and, and the AI pulled it off the Internet. There's actually a thing I bring up in the show this episode that I didn't articulate clearly and so I'm going to articulate it now I am a content creator I create content I am very well aware of how to put things on on Google and Google related products and I'm very well aware that this is an act of volition this is a thing that you must do it's not a magical happening And that if you do not tell Google about your website, people won't be able to find it with Google. So for ChatGPT or whoever, whatever AI we're talking about here, uh, to, to say that this thing magically crawls the internet and just pulls things out, Well, that only works if people told the algorithm about it. And most of our websites on the planet are not actually accessible via the Google algorithm. Actually, I think it's like 99% of websites actually are not in the Google algorithm. And actually, things are being taken off the Google algorithm, and they were before this, and I'm sure they will be uh now that plagiarism can happen because that's what ai is via text is plagiarism and there's a lot of places in the world of work where that can't happen for legal reasons or ethical reasons or whatever um and i'm sure this is a topic i will address again because You know, I I think and I say in the episode that our generation, that is the uh, Generation X and the Millennials, where we grew up on very high concept sci-fi. And I think think, um, there's some grifters out there, I think. And time will tell if OpenAI, if this is a grift or if this is a... Somebody I know via Twitter calls it the job apocalypse. Um, 
I certainly do know that copywriters are being laid off or not being hired, um, but I don't know that I want to call it the job apocalypse just yet. Anyway, so like I always say, I'm having a good day and I hope you are too. And also, thank you for listening to the History Voyager. Okay, bye bye. Uh, Yeah, my name is Andrew Scott. I am a content producer and a professional voice actor based in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am able really to, my goal over the last number of months has been to try to illuminate for people where artificial intelligence is going by way of the creator economy, which is kind of where it's showing itself first you know we we've all seen in the news you know pictures of the pope in a yeezy type jacket and you know a a bunch of other nonsense but this is actually the the generative ai is already having an impact and people are already losing work and it's starting out really in the independent voiceover realm we're we're very unfortunately like the canaries in the coal mine because yeah. we're we're losing work already due to generative artificial intelligence. Right. Um okay. Let me let me just um tell you a story, okay? Sure. So I've played around with Chat GPT like a lot of people have, I guess, or not a lot of people, objectively speaking, but you know, some people. Sure. And what I've noticed is it's not great at new thoughts, right? It's not great at new stuff, and it's not great at if if I want to make something sound more like more than a middle schooler, like it's a little bit above voice to text, but not much more. <laughs> but where I think we're really going to see the pinch is what you're talking about is voiceover stuff and like the 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 pope in the easy jacket and things like that i think we're gonna really see the pinch there um like let me give you so the story specifically i wanted to tell you was i'm on tiktok and i'm Mm -hmm. scrolling through tiktok one one evening and i come across this uh, comedian, I guess, who has a bit, who has his whole bit is he pretends to be different presidents or celebrities playing. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. All right. It's hilarious. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is funny. This is hilarious. Da, 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 da. And, but I keep scrolling and, and days later, I run across this and this scares me. And like two days later, I air quotes met you on Reddit. And I was like, I would love to talk about this because I don't think people are ready for it. Oh, they're not. They're absolutely not. Ran across uh, a video clip with audio of Joe Rogan. This Mm -hmm. thing that I know for a fact Joe Rogan never did. Okay. Like, (laughs) I'd be shocked if Joe Rogan used. Any words to talk about what he was talking about that right? I, that I heard him talk about. And I'm like, okay, I guarantee you most people, A, don't even know this is possible, and B, like, 
aren't ready for it at all. Like, no, at all. <laughs> no. And, you know, Ben, I think one of the best ways that I heard this explained was by another content creator on YouTube, a guy named Tom Scott. Uh, and okay. for, for those of your listeners who might not be familiar, Tom Scott is a salt and pepper haired, uh, Gen Z millennial type person, always in a red t-shirt, but he's very good at explaining complex topics in easy and accessible ways. Yeah. Now he, he used an analogy for me because I've been spending, uh, and I'm, I mean it Ben, like the last four months of my life on all my platforms, on my podcasts and mm. I, in my, on my YouTube channel, which is focused on, uh, on home voiceover. This, this is all I've been able to talk about. You know, everybody's hair is on fire in my world about this. And I've been struggling to get people to understand, no, this is going to, this isn't going to just catch fire. This is going to explode and none of us are ready for it. And the example that Tom Scott used is one that I've picked up. So so in mathematics, and I'm not getting deeply mathematical on you, so, you know, don't grab an abacus or anything, (laughs) but you know, we're really in, in the modern world, we're familiar with two types of growth patterns. Now, the first okay. growth pattern is where things launch, get up fast, and then level off, okay? Mm-hmm. And the other, thanks to the COVID pandemic that we're all familiar with, is exponential growth. The first mm-hmm. is called logarithmic growth. The The second mm-hmm. one that we're familiar with is exponential growth, right. where it starts out slow and then shoots up and just keeps going to infinity. Okay. But the thing is, is if you combine both of those types of growth, you get something when you're visualizing it out a plot called an S, uh, sigmoid curve, which is it takes off and it looks a little bit like it's exponential, but then it tops off at some point in the future. Now, mm-hmm. to use an example, a cultural example, mm-hmm. I think we're both of the same age where we remember Napster. Yes, okay. I remember Napster. Sure. <laughs> Before yeah. it became a paid service, I'll say that. Before right. it became a paid service, right? So while I'm 55, yeah. so it was, you know, the way I got my music for free for a while. There. Okay. Boom. Okay. But think about how long it took before mm-hmm. the entire music industry went from selling CDs, remember them, mm-hmm. and the Billboard Hot 100 chart to all of a sudden now Apple and iTunes are included in those numbers. And, oh, the Billboard chart really doesn't mean much anymore. Oh, wait, the Billboard chart now takes into account streaming. Why? Because the music industry was no longer able to sell CDs, but they figured out how to monetize music streams. And then we've got Spotify, and then we've got all these other music services. Napster's been in the dust now for almost 10 years at this point. It took less than five years from the moment Napster came online to where the entire music industry shifted gears and looks nothing like what it once was in the not too distant past by way of artificial intelligence. Now where we are, we're at the Napster moment of this dynamic of this phenomenon. Exactly. And you've got my, uh, my gears turning. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story and then ask you to draw a parallel. Okay. okay. I have a there was a part there's a musician that I listened to who um when she gives interviews about the music business mm-hmm. is pretty she you can tell there's some there's some deep there's some gears turning. Right. right? You, you can tell she's not just a pretty face. Mm-hmm. Right. She said something years ago now where she said that she thought that YouTube was going to kill um like VH1 and MTV and Fuse video sure like channels and stuff like before way before that was fashionable to say right and <clears throat> here's where here's what I noticed I noticed that when YouTube decided or format wise or whatever that a we're gonna let music videos stay on YouTube, and mm-hmm. b we're gonna expand how long a YouTube clip can be, so that you could put an entire concert up on YouTube. Yeah, right. What I noticed is my desire to go to concerts has, has plummeted. Isn't but, that, yeah, isn't that interesting? But here's what I've noticed. But my like my. It's like I'm exposed now to music that I would never want to see in public. Also okay. interesting. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But also, like, as soon as you brought up the music parallel, the music thing, the parallel that I was thinking of, I get what you're, I, I, Andrew, I pick up the cards you're putting down, mm-hmm. but where do records fit into that? Like, where does vinyl fit into that? Because vinyl came back. That's very true, and I think that that's an interesting point. Now, one of the things about me uh, is that I, you know, my thing is professional voiceover, Mm -hmm. but I've done many, 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 many things in my 55 years. I've been Mm -hmm. a millwright and a machinist, and I was a line cook, and I spent uh, many years as a roadie uh, myself out on tour and a musician myself. Mm -hmm. And my collegiate background is I have a degree in philosophy which makes okay. me immensely employable, obviously. Obviously. But, <laughs> but one of my concentrations in philosophy was mm-hmm. the history of science and technology and the, and the ethics mm-hmm. of science and technology. And so I, I've got my foot in, in, that, in that world. And there's mm-hmm. a phenomenon that happens Pretty much any time any new technology, or what we now refer of, refer to as a disruptive technology, mm-hmm. when it comes online, mm-hmm. there's always a reach back about 20 years to the thing that was once replaced. And it's referred to often as an archaic revival, a revival of the old. Wow. And, you know, we started seeing the, the reach back to vinyl. When CDs came online, right? You know, everybody had that one friend who was a vinyl nerd, right? And there's, we're still seeing that now. Vinyl has had its best year in 30 years, I think it was. And this is the Mm -hmm. first year where vinyl has outsold CDs. CD, who, who has a CD player anymore? 
I I I I, I, I think the CD player in my bedroom uh, actually doesn't work. Right, right. But I have it's but, attached to a radio that does. But the speakers are good enough that you want to keep the sound, and you don't care about the CD thing anymore. And that's the phenomena that's happening now. Yeah. Is is we're we're able to appreciate certain aspects of older technology, and we're enjoying them for its own sake i mean don't get me wrong there's there's something absolutely fantastic great and liberating about having the entirety of the world's recorded music output accessible to me on my phone as i drive yeah. you know and you know bluetooth it to my stereo and oh, off i real. go right okay yeah, yeah, yeah. that that part <laughs> is cool unarguably that part is cool but i think one of the things that is happening with the vinyl revolution is mm. that it forces you to slow down and to actively participate in the appreciation of the music you're listening to. There's a ritual mm. to it. There's a physical aspect to vinyl. You know, I mean, uh, I remember back to when I was a kid in, in the seventies. And one of the coolest things was if you had a multiple record or multiple LP record player where you could stack them on top of a, a longer a longer stem and when mm -hmm. one record was done the arm would lift up and it would move back and another record would drop down and the arm would move back and set down and you could listen to lps back to back to back if you wanted to that was just like that was mind-blowing okay this is modern life kind of thing mm -hmm. um but that slowing down is something that we're starting to reappreciate sitting there and actively listening to the music that you love. That's different than instant gratification and, or, you know, some other random song coming on because the algorithm thinks you might like this because you like that person. That discovery is also cool. But it's so rapid fire and you're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a byproduct of our go, go, go modern life. And every once in a while, people like to just mm. step back and go, you know what, I'd really just like to slow down. And so I think that's part of the reason why vinyl has come back. But it's hard to analogize that with where we're going with artificial intelligence because, and, yeah. and to reach back to what you said um, about, you know, using chat GTP and it's sounding like an eighth grader, you know, mm. and that there's, there's, it's not, it's not giving you anything new. You're right. It's not because <laughs> right. it doesn't have the ability. Well, okay. I'm I, I mean, I know that. I mean, okay. I know it's a language model, right? Yes. I came into this interview knowing that, right? Mm -hmm. I wish they would quit talking about it as artificial intelligence because it's not intelligent. Right? Well, I beg to differ with you, but only in semantics. Okay. I would much rather it be called artificial intelligence because by definition of the word intelligent, it is. Machine learning is learning. Okay. Okay. But I think people are misunderstanding 
what we're referring to as generative AI. Okay. There's, there's three words there. Generative artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence that generates something. So in that way, it's correct. Mm. But I think that we or the majority of the public is mistaking the generative aspect for creativity. And mm. so artificial intelligence is intelligent, but it's not artificially creative. Mm -hmm. It's not creating something because the process of creation means taking yeah. disparate elements that are not connected and connecting them in such a way that you, the creator feel like you're expressing yourself. Okay. Artificial intelligence can't express anything. Okay. It's just rehashing and regurgitating what it's been told to learn from. And so there's a difference there. Right. And also, like, so I agree with that. That's actually, I never thought about the difference between intelligence and creativity like that. I agree with you there. Um, but, like, I've had, like, cooks and chefs reach out to me and say things like um, the recipe that they had it spit out for whatever mm -hmm. um, is incorrect. Hmm. And actually like, don't like whatever you, the way I had enough of these cooks say this to me that I'm telling people right now, like if you're using chat GPT to write code, yeah, don't do that because, <laughs> because like, one guy said, like, I had it spit out lobster Newberg, mm -hmm. and you couldn't eat that. Like, that, the recipe it spit out is, like, not, it won't make lobster Newberg. It'll make something that'll kill you. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, just saying. <laughs> well, in fairness, lobster Newberg is a pretty nuanced recipe. I've made that a few times in my days, but I think yeah. where I'm where I'm most concerned with generative AI is that we are, we're getting to a tipping point very quickly where some of the most core and foundational aspects of us as a society and a culture and, uh, and monkeys running around on a planet, mm. you know, we, we've set up a system of law where you have to prove certain things. Yeah. And now the ability to say, I have a photograph that shows you, or I have a video that shows you, or we have an audio yeah. recording that shows you. And this, this reaches back to the thing, you know, that you mentioned about Joe Rogan. Exactly. Where <laughs> we don't know, we're getting to the point where we're having a hard time discerning, empirically discerning. Right. between what really happened and not. And that's right. what's really terrifying about that is what I haven't heard. You okay. know, we're, we're, we're hearing lots of stuff from these platforms, from the, you know, from OpenAI and from Eleven Labs and all these other, you yeah. know, AI platforms where, oh, look, we can do this now. We can do that now. You can do this. Look at that. This all the flash and dog and pony show elements. What we're not hearing is much about, well, our company is now taking steps to where we are encoding uh, watermarks that show when our material has been used. That would be really helpful because 
Yeah. We are where I, I, I tell you, Ben, we're moments away from the first lawsuit where oh. something is brought into play as evidence and either either the the attorneys question the authenticity of it or the defendant says that was obviously manipulated by artificial intelligence platforms. So is there going to be a whole new uh, realm of, uh, of criminal forensics opens up that's there to yeah. detect it? Or uh, isn't it uh, isn't the onus upon the generative platforms to build in some telltale that yeah. allows people who need to know if it's genuine or not? Yeah, that, that's that's absent. And the number one place that's bearing fruit right now is in education. Uh, oh, I've got. Uh, let me tell you what my fear is with artificial, with what we call artificial intelligence. Right? My fear is not that artificial intelligence will will replace very many jobs, or that the people can't find new jobs. That's not my fear. My fear, the thing that I worry about a lot, is that people will think that that will happen. Or that here's something that happens all the time in the world, and we don't even, we've totally normalized it, right? You and I are the last group of people, among the last group of people ever, who were educated before Google. That's true. And when, we, when, you, when you get educated before Google, you were expected to be Google. Mm -hmm. They didn't say that because Google wasn't like a search engine, right? Mm -hmm. But you were expected to know things. Yeah. I encounter people who do not know how to spell their full name. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I encounter people who have these staggering gaps in their in their knowledge because they live in a world where they're expected to know how to use google and not even that they have <laughs> gaps in their knowledge they have gaps in their thinking process exactly one of the things that we benefited <laughs> from as being educated before google mm -hmm. is you know and i often told this to my kid uh, as they were getting ready to go to college i was like the thing that I learned most in my education was how was, to think. Was how to think and mm -hmm. how to, and not only how to think, but how to learn. And I, what mm -hmm. we're suffering from right now in the in the the generations, you know, coming, pat, you know, following the millennial generation, is people don't know how to learn anymore, and people don't know how to be curious and they anymore. Don't know, they don't. It's not even that they don't know how to learn. It's that they... They don't feel it's necessary. That's what I Google's let, for. I let you say it. Because I would be... I would run the risk of being a lot more judgmental. But <laughs> here's... That's my concern. Is not that... You know, chat GPT will, will... Or AI or whatever. Will take away jobs that people could have. That could be decent, good jobs. It's the concern that we're going to be okay with this. And so right. we're going to use it and ba ba ba. <laughs> yeah. Like Google Translate. Okay. Google Translate killed translator jobs. Very true. As, as like a way to feed yourself, not yes. as like a job, 
but like this is a good job that you could have and pay a mortgage and things like that. I agree. That's my concern. Mm-hmm. That's really my worry. And my other worry is that we we both came up in a generation or yeah, okay, we're technically the same generation. Yeah, we're Gen we both, X, right? Yeah. Yeah. We both came up in a generation that was that was schooled on or entertained on these high concept sci-fi. That's also true, yes. TV shows and movies and books and all like that. And so in our brain, we're thinking, when we hear somebody say, this is like uh, Battlestar Galactica, or this is like Star Trek, or this is like whatever, you know, you're thinking, oh, great, cool. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, okay, like for me, I went the other way. Like at the age of 28, I, I figured something out at the age of 28, and this is my rule of thumb from, from now on, from then on. If you're watching a presentation that one of these people gives, and they're over here talking about how as soon as they mention Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or whatever, you can check out. This is a con. <laughs> right? Oh. Because, but when you have, when somebody... When somebody comes to me as a podcaster and they say, this certain thing is going to come down the road and these, this is the graphics card we need and these are the actuators we need and this is the fabric we need and so on and so forth. That's different from this feels like Star Trek because you're telling me like what the parts are, mm -hmm. right? Versus... Hey, do you remember the Star Trek episode? Yeah, this is like that, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? A little bit. I think for me, really where where the rub is to use the sci-fi model mm -hmm. is that you know in, in sci-fi we've really got two types of sci-fi stories. We've got the utopia-based story and the dystopia-based story. Okay, and to yeah. use to use your your example, um, and I think I'll I'll change canon a little bit here, and I'll <laughs> I'll use the two greater ones. Although I am a massive fan of Battlestar Galactica, I still argue that it's the best science fiction show that's ever been put on television. And Same, so, yeah. Same, but we're gonna go Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek. Okay, okay. Um, Star Trek was the utopian ideal. Okay. Gene, okay. Gene Roddenberry wanted to inspire people to be better than they currently were when he was uh, initially coming up with Star Trek. You know, okay. uh, uh, okay. Uh, Star Trek, of course, was written uh, in at the height of the uh, civil rights movement here in America. Okay. okay. And Star Wars was a generation later. Uh, you know, Lucas wanted to directly address some of the things in our culture and society that were friction points that were mm -hmm. ugly that were that were making right. people suffer um and he wanted to i mean st you know star wars is really nothing more than a samurai tale in space uh, yeah. you know nobility and rising above and defeating evil what we're losing out on 
now mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. new culture is the ability to think critically. And both of those types of stories in the science fiction world lean on critical thinking. 100%. You know, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it's really nothing more than fantasy with lasers, which right. is fine in and of itself, but it's, it's validity as an art and as a way to tell a story is dependent upon the listener or the viewer's ability to think critically. And that's where I'm really nervous to go back to the students just know how to regurgitate Google. Now Mm -hmm. we're missing, we're letting go of our culture and society's ability to think critically about things. We just assume everything is real now. And those shan- mm. those sands are shifting under our feet at a at a rate much faster than any of us appreciate. You know what's one of the coolest conversations? Uh, cool is the wrong. I'm sorry. I'm Gen X. We use the word cool for all kind of things. No. One of the most um, interesting and scary conversations that I can have and I can have it with folks all over the planet because English is a language commonly spoken all over the globe is how, okay. When I talk to people who know about Google, who know about Google ads and how the Google algorithm works and stuff Mm -hmm. and how to put, when I talk to folks who know how to put websites into the Google algorithm, one of the things that we both will agree on all day long is that putting stuff on Google is an overt act. It's not an accident. It's a thing that people do. Yeah, it's a volitional, right? it's a volitional act. Yes. E- exactly. Also... <laughs> You can you can kind of goose the algorithm, right? You can kind of make certain things come up on some people's phones or some people's terminals that wouldn't come up on other people's terminals, right? Agreed. And here's the thing, right? I don't have any evidence. Let me preface this by saying this. I don't have any evidence that what I'm about to say is t- is accurate. This is totally my opinion. Okay? I have an I have a theory that the Google folks about what year is this? 2013 or 2023, the Google folks about 15 years ago started telling people that Google was like a university specifically so that university people would tell other people that Google is like a university. Hmm. Because Google is not a university. <laughs> Google is a way to show ads to people. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that. Okay, it's it's not at all a university, and <laughs> you know, and that to me is the concern. It's not that, you know, I feel bad for folks like you because I can, I'm watching that um, Joe Rogan video that had Joe Rogan's non-voice on there. Right. I literally thought, oh, crap. 
you know, but I thought about it not in terms of a, a, a voiceover job. I thought, like, somebody could call using my voice and do all kinds of things. Oh, that's already happened. Or, <laughs> that's exactly. already happened. We already have a case yeah. where, where um, someone... And I, I'm sorry, I don't have the specifics in front of me, but I talked about this on one of my shows. Somebody yeah. actually used a generative AI voice platform to clone somebody's voice without their permission, call up their bank, and access their bank account with voice ID. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you're not suddenly, if, if one part of your body or another didn't just tighten up because of that you're <laughs> you're dead from the neck down um you're dead are, from the neck up <laughs> well uh, very well, well played sir um <laughs> you know and this has already happened to me and a number Jesus. of my compatriots in the voiceover realm mm -hmm. um you know, I'm a, a voiceover educator on YouTube uh, at, at the channel. And if you, your listeners, yeah. if your listeners want to jump in with me, uh, you can just go to YouTube. And I am at VO Booth Camp is mm -hmm. my YouTube channel. And I teach people how to get into this business, which right now is a little dicey a proposition. But um, uh, I'm I'm collaborators with a number of other VO educators on YouTube. And one of the largest VO educators on YouTube um, and I both had our voices cloned without our consent mm -hmm. by followers of ours who they were, they were well-intentioned. They wanted to see how easy it was to do this in order to say, Hey, look how easy it is to do this. But right. they, they kind of stepped over the line of, yeah, but you didn't check with me first, you know, um, uh -huh. and, and, you know, that's concerning now to, you know, to be fair and, and full disclosure to your audience, I'm no huge voiceover talent. I'm, I'm successful. I pay my bills this way. Uh, I'm the voice of a 1.4 million subscriber, uh, YouTube channel, uh, for somebody else, a client of mine. I've done work for the likes of the Christopher and Dana Reeve foundation, the U S forest service, uh, Intel. Uh, I did a couple spots for them, things like that. But am I driving around in a Bugatti? No, I'm driving around in a 94, you know, Ford Ranger with a cracked windshield. That's still success to me. But oh, yeah. the, the thing that I'm trying to get to is we are seeing these ripples happen now and certain, certain realms of the creator content, the creator yeah. economy, that's where we're going to see it first. And, and places like you discussed, uh, I was interviewing, um, professor Joanna Bryce, professor Joanna Bryson from the Hurdy school in Berlin, Germany. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. a professor of artificial intelligence and ethics, uh, in, in Germany. And to, to give your listeners an idea of where they are on the scale of important people, they, uh, they advise European governments on artificial yeah. intelligence policy. And they actually were one of the people who helped craft the European Union's um, stance on generative AI. They're pretty high level. And they actually brought up that, yeah, translators, 
that used to be something, as you said, that you could feed a family on. They are pretty yeah. much non-existent now in in the what we refer to as as the developed world. We've got we've got uh, like copywriters for news agencies. They're gone. They just any any major news agency now just runs their their reporters' material through artificial intelligence to do a basic check and formatting. So they're not a thing anymore. Copywriters and if you ever pull up uh, a major news platform's website to read the news, you can damn well tell they're not because there are so many errors left in because what we're dumbing ourselves down to and i use that term absolutely Mm -hmm. on purpose what we're dumbing ourselves down to as a culture as a society is a society of what i refer to as ged which stand Mm -hmm. which stands for good enough dude and, I get it. Yeah, we're really I getting get it. Yeah. Or, well, okay. Yeah, that news article had had three repeated words in it, but I still got the idea. So it's good enough, dude. It's good enough, you know. Yeah. But now artificial intelligence is getting so good at generating something that most people find not only good enough, but yeah, that's that's real, isn't it? And this big hanging question that we have. I, is, I'll tell you, when you told me about the, the Pope in the bubble coat, mm-hmm. um, I'd seen that photo. Um, I don't remember where I saw it. No, it was, only, it was only about three weeks ago, right? I know three. I saw it somewhere. Mm-hmm. You told me it was fake. I mean, I kind of thought maybe not when I saw it. I kind of thought maybe not, but... You know, <laughs> well, you kind of have to be paying attention, and that's the other thing that's happening now that right concerns me is how many people are actually really paying attention. I was talking about artificial intelligence's impact on the voiceover industry six, seven years ago. I could mm-hmm. see it coming down the pipe as someone who is educated in the analysis of the progression of technology. That's my background. Yeah. Well, but also, I don't mean to interrupt, but no, also, right. like you, you were plugged into the society, like you were plugged into to that part of society, so you could see the the changes. Like I remember years ago now, right? I was the normie friend for a bunch of tech for a bunch of tech dudes, right? Okay, like people into tech, yeah, and they were describing like Bitcoin to me. Mm-hmm. And they were saying how amazing it was going to be. And blah, blah. and it was just all wah, wah, wah to you. Well, but out of all those people, I was the only person who knew there was a clause in the Constitution that said that the Congress could pick, could decide how the money goes in this country. Right. Right. And I said, yeah, but okay, sure. But if I can't take that stuff down to the store and buy milk with it, I don't think it's going to take off. <laughs> well, right? that's true like, to a point. That's true to a point. And the reason why I say that is because 
I can right now, if I want to go out and buy milk with Bitcoin, there's a purveyor here. And I mean, yeah, part of it is because I live in the Pacific Northwest at the top of, you know, the, 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 yeah, we, we call it the, the Silicon forest up here, uh, (laughs) because, you know, uh, Intel, Intel's main manufacturing plant is only about 40 minutes from where I live. Um, and so we do have the benefit we're early adopters of new technology and there's a store where i can go and buy all my groceries with bitcoin if i wanted to but where this really starts to make me concerned it, yeah. and and full disclosure i use yeah. artificial intelligence tools in my content creation i'm a solo i'm a solo dude uh everything people see from me on youtube is me or maybe my wife holds a camera every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, uh, her son is in film school, so I have the benefit of, of a cameraman if I want it, if he's available. But yeah. for the most part, uh, m- all my content is created solo by me. And there okay. is something very attractive to me, the critic of artificial intelligence, to be able to say, I need a rough script for a piece that I'm talking about on this subject, go to ChatGTP, which uh, again, full disclosure, I pay for ChatGTP uh, because one of the things that I do uh, in my business is when I'm teaching people how to be voice actors and voice artists is I create scripts for them. And doing a thousand word script to make a demo for an audiobook. That's, you know, fine, but a thousand words is going to take me about 15, 20 minutes to write. Or I can go to chat GTP, type in a bunch of, you know, restrictions and limitations by way of what I wanted to do when it generates content. And within a minute, I have a working script that I then read through, make a few corrections, but I can get to one of my students or my client and boom, we're off and running. And being that I have four, five, six voiceover coaching clients a day, that saves me time. I also, I have to spend a lot of time for YouTube making thumbnails because on YouTube, thumbnails are pretty much everything. If you don't catch somebody's eye with something unique and compelling, they'll just scroll on past you. So headed over to something like mid-journey and feed a picture of me into it, but say, I want a microphone growing out of my ear. Um, and boom, within a couple minutes, it's there and I can work with it. Those are very attractive things. And that's really where the complication comes in and where this idea of us as a society and a culture not paying attention anymore really comes into play. And that is right. historically, when it comes to technology, if there is enough of what I refer to as the fun quotient, people will look past the ethical ramifications of something Mm -hmm. because they want the instant gratification of the the shiny fun fun thing that technology will provide. And unfortunately, that's where I feel we're headed right now. Well, the thing I think, as soon as you said the fun quotient, um, I remember when Facebook used to be fun, right? Like I remember when Facebook was, these are people that, you know, mm-hmm. or that you wish you still stayed in contact with and you guys are going to talk and you know, whatever. Yeah. Reconnect blah, blah, blah. and all that business. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And then, but the older folks, like the people my parents' age, were, yes, but this is the computers and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's like it's spying on you or something. Yada, yada. And they're, you know, and you're putting all this stuff in for identity thieves. I know, where, I know where you're going. And we all ignored them because and we, we like the fun aspect. And we, everybody ignored it. And then boom. <laughs> yep. Right. Or like. And now we, now we got yeah. everybody, you know, Cambridge Analytica has all mm -hmm. our information and the mm -hmm. Russians are back. You know, we grew right. up ducking and covering under our desks, fear of a bomb. It's not the bomb that they're getting us with. Right. They're beating us over the head with our own information and making us choose candidates that they want in our government. The thing, but the thing to me is like, so like I keep saying, like I, like I say, right. I wonder and this is what I wonder. I wonder if I could see where schools, education, you're going to have to somehow work either around AI or like chat GPT stuff, or you're going to have to teach your kids how to use it, how to really use it. Well, and how right? to use it responsibly and ethically. Exactly. That's what I meant by yeah. really use it. But yeah, because leave it, leave it to kids. They're going to be experts at exploiting it, right? And making it do all the things that it shouldn't. And, you know, yeah, right? And Neil deGrasse Tyson actually said the problem with AI isn't a problem with AI. It's the the fact that people would rather have the grade than the knowledge. Absolutely right. <laughs> no, Ty, Ty, Tyson is totally right. And what he failed to say, mm -hmm. which is just an extrapolation of his argument, is that. We don't have a problem with AI. We have a problem with people. Right. We have the problem with the people that are using AI. Because AI, truly, AI is just a tool. It doesn't right. do any thinking on its own. If nobody, if today everybody agreed that we weren't going to use it, it would just sit there in its black box, kind of drumming its fingers, you know, <laughs> waiting to say, open the pod bay doors, hell. Um <laughs> <laughs> so it's i'm not gonna do that dave um the the thing that we're missing now yeah is educating people in in how to use it effectively but how to use it ethically but we should also we should also use that here's how i think we should when we use it or when we teach people how to use it, the first thing we should say to folks is what I said somewhere else in this podcast, where I said there's a cohort of people who I believe were part of a viral marketing campaign from Google, where Google said, this is a university, and so those people said, Google is a university. Mm -hmm. right? I think we should say, whatever I tell you about ChatGPT being amazing you need to ignore right. because that was a viral, that's a viral campaign from open AI. So just ignore whatever I tell you about how amazing this is and just look at it as for what it is. Look at the hammer as a hammer. <laughs> well, there's a very famous you know? Japanese saying that to yeah. every man with a hammer, everything is a nail. 
Mm -hmm. And there's another famous saying by one of the people that I follow, who I deeply respect, Adam Savage, the guy who used to be on, you know, Mythbusters. Uh, He he wrote his his book that he wrote is called Every Tool is a Hammer. Uh, You know, if you need it to be, every tool can be a hammer. I can grab my my very expensive camera that I've got right now and I can attempt to drive a nail with it to go back to your your theory about Google and them saying that they're a university. Yeah. You know, uh, when tech was really first lighting up in the late eighties and early and mid nineties, you know, when we we went from command line computers to those with graphic user interfaces Mm -hmm. and, and all that business. And they started becoming more present in people's lives. Yeah. Every tech company, if you think about it, found a way to humanize technology because that was the greatest barrier. You know, I'm of the generation and my father worked in in a huge manufacturing corporation with a big foot in the automotive industry in the 70s. And of course, Mm -hmm. at that time, we were struggling to keep up with the Japanese automotive manufacturing juggernaut and the whole movement of Buy American started and all these things for for right or wrong. That's not really salient. But my father because yeah. of his position in the company, he had access to and brought home a lot of high-tech technology for mm-hmm. me to play with when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I used my yeah. first computer when I was like 11 years old. And so he saw the, the usefulness. He saw where the world was going, and he wanted me to be versed in it. Um, right. But... You know, I liked coding and I liked learning basic and Fortran and Pascal and TurboPass and all these things. But the barrier for most people, I mean, I had to teach my dad how to do most things on a computer until the graphic user interface really came into play when right. Windows 95 came out, uh, which was the really the breaking of the dam. So all these technological companies were trying to humanize their technology because that was the barrier. You needed to be trained. You needed education in order to use a computer. Graphic user interfaces come along and it's a lot of friendly pictures and animated paper clips and, you know, all this business. But when Google said that they were a university... That was just a, a move to humanize mm. something that was very complicated and hard for people to understand. Mm. And where I'm going with this mm-hmm. is really for me, Google isn't a university like they say. Google is like the Library of Alexandria and we or, or any library. Mm. If you were let's just hypothetically say if you were never versed you knew how to read but you were never versed in education and you were suddenly transported into a huge library that experience is generally speaking useless to you unless you know how to think critically and Mm. you know how to look up books because Mm. You know, if you go, if you're transported into a library and the very first book you bump into is Mein Kampf. Ah. So 
this idea of knowing how to learn and knowing how mm. to research and knowing how to think critically and make decisions about the information you're being exposed to. That's what we're missing now. People yeah. don't know how to parse all this fire hose flood of information that we have access to. And what they wind up doing is they wind up thinking that the right thing is the most visible thing. And unfortunately, mm. a lot of very shifty people, I'm looking at you mm. 4chan and 8chan, a lot of very <laughs> shifty people are, as you were saying, about knowing how to bump up SEO and make things yeah. more visible on Google. Yeah. They're leveraging the power of proper placement and knowing how to massage SEO to mm -hmm. bring things more visible, right. even though they're not ethically right or intellectually valid, intellectually useful. Right. And then we've also got this whole other movement. I'm looking at you, Joe Rogan. Um, exactly. Where it's, oh, well, do your own research, man. Well, right. if, if you don't know how to think critically and you are easily swayed by pervasively written arguments about garbage, you're going to believe that the garbage is true. And so now, we, like, now, we, yeah, now we've got a bunch of people th yeah. running around thinking that simply because they know how to look up something on Google, they've got facts. What we're missing right. is people don't know how to actually figure out what's factual yeah. versus not one of the things like and i don't know how far along they got with i literally don't know how far along google got with this but uh -huh. i do remember and i don't know if this was just last minute pr okay but one of the things i do remember actually reading in some of the stuff i read about seo and google and stuff mm -hmm. is that actual employees at google we're, we're doing a study or doing research into, because there's a new type of person now. There's literally a new human being where this child is getting a phone for the first time or getting a Google account for the first time. And they're already seeing, like, these are results that are not, air quotes, true. Mm -hmm. that are coming up in their Google results because their phone lives with other phones. Or right. their computer lives with other computers. And so one of the things that, and I, again, I don't know if this is basically BS or if this is something Google is really trying to do. But one of the things that they said they wanted to do was they wanted to get away from being the repository for facts. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's even possible. Or if that's just complete marketing on their part. But I do think that we need to get into the idea that maybe our grandparents were right when it came to like you have to know there you you have to, for example, know stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like right? I mean Yeah. And um, you know, to reach back to you you mentioning um, what, what I think is m more important is we need to know how to wade through this information and mm -hmm. see what's, 
what's true or what's mm-hmm. factual. I'll say oh, factual over true. There was, uh, let me interrupt. There was a person on TikTok that I, I don't know if I follow this person, but I saw this video on TikTok and it was, I mean, I suspected as much, but so they had that they, they had, uh, they paid for chat GPT. They had the pay version mm-hmm. and they had chat GPT, write a paper, write like a research paper and then cite it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they thought being, I don't know why anybody would think this, but they thought, okay, this is a paper that has been written and here are the citations for it. Turns out all the citations were completely made mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Completely fake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can hear people now, I can hear this now. Like when, when am I going to have to write a research paper? All right. Let me, you and I are of an age where we actually saw the world change in front of our face. Oh, under our feet. Yeah. Literally like we could go outside mm-hmm. and watch the world change. Agreed. For, for which there was no written down. Um, there was no written down like guidepost to say, this is what we're changing into here. Right. Um, but I, or people, whatever could just be out in the world and just think, okay, well that this is what this means. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. The new paradigm is moving. That's what concerns me more than anything is that chat GPT isn't going to be able to do that. Well, right? I, I'm, I'm certain <laughs> it's not. Um, You know, chat GTP is only as good as the information available on the internet. And if that doesn't scare you. Well, it's not, but I think, is there a a version that's connected to the internet? Because I don't think it's connected to the internet. Oh, no. Chat GTP has been developed by scouring the internet. That's what it does. That's okay. why you can go to Chat GTP and say, write me something in the style of Kurt Vonnegut. And you'll get something that remotely resembles the writing of Kurt Vonnegut. But what is not happening is that we have in, in technology, they have something that's referred to as black box development. Okay. And I'm sure a number of people have heard that. And, you know, the, the, f- the first way people in our generation were introduced to a black box is because it was the thing that recorded all the telemetry when a plane was crashing into the ocean. Um, but this kind of black box development is where you take uh, an algorithm and a set of mm. constructs and, and restrictions and you mm. put it into a computer that is essentially not tethered to any other computer. And I think that's where your disconnect is coming from. That black box development was a computer system on its own. But what it was doing was its instructions were to scour the internet, gather all this information, and then write yourself a more effective algorithm to be able to parse through this information on command and generate something as output. And then as as it goes forward, and this is referred to as as iterative iter, iterative development or iterative design. It starts mm. out with one algorithm, then it is put to the test by human beings, and the human mm. beings say, "Yeah, that's good," but 
do it, try to try to develop it so that it's more accurate. We're rating this at a 50% accuracy. And so it goes, it writes another algorithm and, and by it, I'm saying the algorithm in the black box writes another algorithm that refines things and then is judged as 60% effective or 60% accurate, 70%, et cetera, et cetera. That iterative process is what black box development is about. Mm-hmm. But it's only using the information available to it. That's if if uh, there's a great example, uh, a large tech platform whom I won't mention, mm-hmm. uh, put out a chatbot a number of years ago. Not even I think it's like less than two, and people, the public were allowed to access it and have conversations with it. And it would always end the conversation with something like, thanks. I learned a lot, blah, blah, blah. Within, Mm. within hours of its public accessibility, it was suddenly spewing racist hatred Mm -hmm. because that's what people taught it. That's what the input was this is the old garbage in garbage out mm-hmm. model of programming you know if you if you feed information into it that's not valid or hasn't been vetted as true by some monkey with fingers sitting in front of a, a computer mm-hmm. it's going to assume that it's true that it's factual mm-hmm. because it doesn't care and this goes to i can't remember who said it but somebody uh recently said i don't care what's factual i care what's right now right there's a dramatic difference between facts and rightness right is an ethical and at times a moral judgment facts are just demonstrable empirical occurrences that you can point to in the past they're very, very different things. And that's where I feel that we're headed now in this mm-hmm. age of social media being really our primary pipe in and out of society is people don't care what is a fact anymore. I mean, we just famously got through an entire presidency where, right. where you know, we were told these are alternative facts. They're, they're what? Not, well, that's not a thing. It's so funny because when I was first exposed to um, what they call postmodern, postmodernist thinking, mm-hmm. um, I remember thinking to myself, every single person that currently, I don't know, is aware of this line of philosophy is doing so in a laboratory, basically is doing so in a laboratory. What happens when this gets out into the world, right? And yeah. Out of the lab. And here you see it. It is postmodernist thinking escaped the lab. And you see it. I mean, I don't, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I've had conversations with ad, with ad people about how, you know, social media is going to be how people sell things very soon. Like there is going to be no cable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not oh, wow. going to happen. And 
I think, see, we're not even ready for that. Right. No, no. And that's already, I mean, that's, that started 10 years ago. Exactly. That's already here. Yeah. So to me, it's like, I literally could see a moment coming down the road, maybe in five or 10 years or maybe hell, maybe next year. I don't know. I was just going to say, you're being generous with your, with your (laughs) estimate of how long it's going to take. I, I, but I could see a moment coming down the road, maybe a year or two from now, where the powers that be, or not the powers that be, but the people right below the powers that be, are going to be like, I had no idea how dumb the average person was. Oh boy, were we wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't like, even call it dumb. I, it, will, no. I will call it gullible. Right, or but, but like you no longer, it's like we've created a world where we no longer need to know things, and now this is the world. Um, so with our time remaining, and I see we have a little bit of time remaining, I want you to go down the, the crystal ball. I want you to gaze in your crystal ball. You're not, like, you're not gonna like what I come back with, buddy. I, I, will, I, I will tell you right up front. Um, by the next presidential administration. Okay. What do you think this AI is going to be? How do you think AI is going to impact the average person? The average person. Um, I think we're going to, st- we're going to have even more of a hard time deciding what is factual versus what is not. I see. I hope I will, I will say this out loud. I hope that we see a movement in world government. And I don't mean, you know, the Illuminati. I mean, I'm talking about the respective world governmental agencies Mm -hmm. where there are some new regulations and demands put upon the generative AI development world that Mm -hmm. insists on something like a watermark where... Mm-hmm. where news agencies and governments are able to quickly and effectively determine whether or not something was either manipulated or outright created by generative AI. In in people's daily mm-hmm. lives, I'm still very wary of those people really just enjoying the shiny fun part of things and mm-hmm. not caring enough getting enough getting enough fun out of this mm-hmm. that they look past the problems because mm-hmm. in 5 years and i i've been saying this um and i had to update my assessment um, I was very regularly saying to people in the voiceover world that within five years, synthesized voices will be will be indistinguishable from meatbag human beings like me. <laughs> and where I had to change that, I'm saying that within before 2025. Mm-hmm you will not be able to tell that a synthesized voice is not a real human being. You you won't. We already have it now to where one of the big criticisms in the voiceover community was that um, 
uh, synthesized voices, generative AI voices sound too sterile. They don't have the idiosyncrasies that a human voice has. They don't speak with mm. disfluencies like we do, things like little stutters or, or uh, um, kind of things. Yeah, like, like that. Or, yeah. or, or even breath noises. Um, mm -hmm. You can go to most generative AI voice platforms right now and You'll hear breaths, you'll hear stutters and stammers. They know what is impeding people's ability to decide whether or not something is real or not. And those are the things that those platforms are addressing right now. The rest mm. of society, I, I, I worry that people aren't going to care enough. That they're just going to go, oh, well, whatever. And... As is so often the case with technology, if people don't care about it, if people don't watch it, mm -hmm. the next thing you know, because if left to their own devices, developers are going to keep pushing forward in a mm -hmm. way that suddenly we wind up here, where three months ago, four months ago, hardly anybody knew about this. And now it's everywhere. It's very yeah. quick to suddenly become a presence in people's lives. And when something that monumental happens, a number of people like you, like me, like a lot of my compatriots in the, in the content creation mm. world, you know, we go on alert. Other mm. people just kind of throw up their hands. Sadly, they're probably the majority of people kind of throw up their hands and go, well, okay, I guess this is what life is now. Oh, look, I don't have to write my own grocery list anymore. Oh, look, <laughs> I don't have to answer my door. I can see who's here on my phone. Yeah, those things are great. But what price are you paying? What invisible price are you paying right now mm -hmm. that you won't be able to get back once it's gone over the top and is suddenly pervasive in your life? Do you really want your car knowing what you ate for lunch. Why does your car need to know that? Well, you might, <laughs> you know, you, you might need to stop at a bathroom and we'll be able to tell you where the nearest McDonald's is to purge your Taco Bell. I mean, those things are the things I, that really concern me. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that concerns me the most is I'm not a 15 year old kid. Right. And so there, well, no, let me, Okay just so that didn't get ISO'd. <laughs> I'm not 15 years old anymore, so I don't... I think like an adult. But if I were a 15-year-old and looking at how to get what I wanted, just give me what I want. Yeah. Right? Right? Like, we so love, I'm not, yeah, we I'm love not hacking this. No, that's just it. We love instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there, there. I, I think if I got anything really to leave your audience with is this. Yeah. To go back into the realm of philosophy and science. Yeah. To my knowledge, there's right. never, there's never been a technology, not, not a weapon per se, but a technology that has ever been developed that has never yeah. been taken to its logical farthest conclusion. People who develop technology don't like to step away from it. They want to take it as far as it will go. And even if they're told no, somebody will. For example, CRISPR technology for gene editing. It has mm. massive 
promise to help mm. defeat some of the greatest struggles in humankind. We can thank gene yeah. editing and 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 that kind of we can thank in no small part mm -hmm. that technology for helping us navigate the pandemic. Oh, we yeah. have we have vaccines that were developed as fast as they were because of that kind of scientific development. Yeah. But at, but at the same time, we also have a child living right now in China who was conceived with edited genes before they were born through CRISPR because a scientist in China wanted to do it. And so that's concern number one. Concern oh, number yeah. two is that as smart monkeys, we have a terrible track record of getting genies back into bottles. Oh, yeah. We just don't do it. So it's this is not something that is going to happen. This is something that is happening right now yeah. under our feet. And if we don't get governments involved and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of regulation in places and I mm -hmm. like some regulation in this because I would like to know when I'm watching the news that the person that I see really was there doing what they said they were doing or was a real person or right. And there's, I mean, I know you have to go, but I mean, one of the things that happened in the stone ages of three years ago right, yeah. like, was there was a new, there was footage. I don't remember if it was, a, no, it was, well, that was what was so nuts. There was this footage of a war that somehow got into like a, a news channel. Mm-hmm. Like, I forget what channel it was, but somehow this footage of a war got into a news channel. And then, like, and it was around the, the war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. right? And then other, like, savvy people were like, wait, this is footage from such and such video game. Yeah. After this footage had gone viral all yes. over the planet. Yes, I remember that instance. Right? You're right. And, and that's where we are three years ago. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like... I mean, I know you have to go, but we could have this. I could have this conversation with you for hours, and maybe I'll throw like an introduction on the front of it. And, <laughs> but I mean, I've got a story that happened about three years ago, and then I'll let and then I'll let you reflect on that, and then I'll let you go. Three years ago, I got a call from this person who was convinced that I had called them or my number had called them. And I worked at Amazon, and can I help them with their Amazon account? Right. And they kept calling back. Mm -hmm. And I had to block them. And to me, that's where scam calls are going. Oh, yeah. Without <laughs> question. And that's, that's a sad thing. And my reflection yeah, on it is you know? this. My reflection on it is this. Yeah. Tools that can be used for bad purposes mm -hmm. always are. And not yeah. only that. The people who want to use things for bad purposes tend to be out on the cutting edge much farther than those people with decent ethics. Okay. That's the sad truth. Andrew Scott.
I want you to tell the whole world about all your very impressive IP, <laughs> and then I'm gonna let, and then I'm gonna let you go about your day. Well, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, the best place to do so is just to head over to my website, andrewscottmedia.com. As I said, I teach people how to be flesh bags in front of microphones. If anybody is interested in that, you can find me over on YouTube at the VO Booth Camp. And uh, really, the the thing that I try to help people do is navigate this weird world of using your voice in order to make money. But uh, also, uh, I run Discord server that you can find on my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, I do lots of things, but uh, those are the primary points of contact. And I'm always happy to answer any questions anybody might have for me. Okay, thank you, Mr. Scott, and um, I'll, I guess I'll see you and fellow you know, travelers <laughs> on the cyberspace. All right, everybody, like I always say, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. Thank you so much.